Welcome to Voice of Reason Radio, your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story. Yes, he's with us this week, folks. Uh, Richard Story joining you on... Uh, I, I don't, I'm starting to forget what day it is. This, this, this month is, and this week and this year is really confusing me. It is, it is July 23rd, 2021. I kept wanting to say February because I'm looking at my watch and I see the word Friday. So the F sound keeps wanting to go February. No, that was five months ago. Not, don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that, Chris. You're off to a bad, bad start already. So thank you for joining us, folks. It is, in fact, July 23rd, 2021. You are listening to Voice of Reason Radio, which is evidenced by the fact that I'm already messing things up. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we really appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. I want to remind you we are part of the Christian podcast community. Uh, there is always a good program on there. Please check them out. Remember to check out our website, slavetothekingcom That's where you will get updates on new articles, podcast episodes, links to our RSS feeds, social media, and the like, our Patreon link. And if you would so consider doing so, going to uh, the store at doctrineandlife.co. The link is there as well to help you find your wonderful Voice of Reason Radio t-shirts. Those are awesome. Really, uh, really recommend you grab yourself one. You can, you know... Uh, you know, promote the show just by wearing a shirt. Go check it out. So thank you for being with us this week. Thank you, uh, by the way, to Andrew Rappaport for filling in for my buddy Rich, uh, whose plans to celebrate his wife's birthday didn't quite turn out as well as they had hoped. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him tell you how much of that he would like to enjoy uh, if he wants to. But it just uh, sadly it didn't work out the way they had hoped. But uh, still glad to have him back this week. How you doing, brother? As always, brother, better than I deserve. Um, I'm just sitting here sharpening up my sword, getting ready to fall <laughs> on it tonight. Yeah, we're going to have to give a little bit of a caveat. Rich is playing. Well, I I'm taking one for the team, so to speak. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, and I'm not sure I want to be on the receiving end of this. So, <laughs> All right. So to explain to everyone, Rich is going to be playing a role tonight. He is not going to be as insane as he sounds let's just let's put it that way so he's what we're doing we're going to do a little bit of a role play with, uh, with the topic we're discussing tonight we're going to be talking about owen strand's new book christianity and wokeness uh if you have not checked this book out you need to go get it <clears throat> excuse me yes in in the title wokeness and christianity no Christ, i'm looking at it it says christianity and wokeness <laughs> okay well i'm already off the losing <laughs> end of this <laughs> The full title is Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. And I think this is a fantastic book. I, I got to be part of the launch team. If you have not gotten yourself a copy, what are you waiting for? Stop the podcast. Go to Amazon. In fact, I'll even put the link in the show notes. Go get a well, copy first, of this book. Yes. First, backtrack back and finish what you were going to say because we're, we're basically <laughs> reviewing, not necessarily reviewing the book, but we're hoping to provide a real-world application scenario for using the book. Exactly. That's that's the intent of tonight. Uh, Rich is going to play the other side of the coin, <laughs> so to speak. He's going to be challenging me. I think this is going to be the best way I could put it. Challenging me on the premise of the book and with its purpose and its usefulness. Hopefully, I will do a fair job <laughs> of... Uh, representing why this book is important and why I think books like it are have are very very useful 
to uh, the Christian church at large and why they're beneficial. So hopefully I will do that well. If this doesn't work, y'all ain't going to hear this anyway because we'll just throw it in the, in the delete <laughs> pile. <laughs> and to be perfectly clear, I'm playing a role. If I do my part adequately, all of you guys are going to think I've gone completely bonkers <laughs> and that I've actually bought into all of this. So I just want to make that clear. I have had experience in critical thinking training and debate. It's been a long time since I used any of it, but if if I still have any of those skills, uh, I'm, I'm going to put them to use. And <laughs> aside from showing how to use this book in the real world, it's also a demonstration in, in the lost art of critical thinking and debate because, you know, the old days, like when me and Chris were in high school, you know, that's been a long time ago. Back when the dinosaurs were on the earth. Was, yeah, debate <laughs> was actually taught. And part of engaging in a debate was having to defend an opposing viewpoint. Yep. So that's rather what I'm going to do tonight. And Owen, if you're listening to this, please understand I'm only doing this <laughs> in a demonstrative capacity. So please do not take anything I say to heart or, or please don't be offended by it because we're actually doing this trying to help others out there to understand why a book like this is needed. Absolutely. I just want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell poor Rich is terrified y'all are going to take him seriously? He, he's a little nervous, I'll be honest with you. And here's the funny thing. Rich, this was your idea. So if it goes down in flames, you own this one. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will disclose this. I have not read the book. So this is going to be as real world as possible. If, if for any of you that have read the book or get the book and read it, we're, we're going to try to simulate real world as much as possible. And Chris, is, Chris has read the book. Yes. And he's going to use what he's learned in the book to hopefully defeat me <laughs> in, in, in this sort of debate. Um, and this is really weird because I want to win. <laughs> But I also want Chris to win, so the competitive side of me is kind oh of boy. This oozing could, out a little bit. This could be one of our weirdest programs yet, I'm just telling you. Well, it's feeling like one of our, it, no, it's feeling like the weirdest one already, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself into character and trying to convince myself I believe what I'm going to say tonight. So. so for a little bit of, of, of transparency and disclosure here, the reason I've read this book is um, the publisher and Owen Strand put out there, the uh, publisher is Salem Books, by the way, uh, they put out a um, opportunity for, just like what happened with Vody Balcom's book, Vault Lines, a launch team. And what that launch team was is first off, you had to have shown proof that you pre-ordered this book. So I was able to do that. And if you had pre-ordered the book, they would say, and you joined the Facebook group, they would send you a PDF copy of the uh, Christianity and Wokeness book in, in its kind of early pre-release phase. So there could be some typos and some minor changes that were made, but essentially that was the, the full book was, was made available to you. The intent was for you to read it and then to uh, write up a review and help promote it. So that's how I got a chance to read it. I was part of the launch team. Um, and I'll tell you something. I mean, I, it took it, it took time because books like this, I, I, I read much better when it's paper. 
and doing it on digital on my iPad and trying to make the time to sit down and do this in, in a timely manner so it could be ready for the launch date and have my review ready and stuff that was i'm not nearly as disciplined with my time as i should be so that was it was a challenge but i, I got it done and i will attach on our uh, our on our actual website i keep wanting to say facebook on our website page i did the a brief review up which is the same review that if you went to goodreads or uh, amazon it's the same review but i wanted a one place that our listeners could go to and read a review of the book and it's not it's not an extensive one because I want you to take time to read it. I want you to understand what Owen's doing, and I don't want to break down the book in its entirety for you. But I want you to get a taste of what it's about. And one of the things before Rich starts, you know, getting into full character here is I just want to give you a, a little bit of a flavor of what this book is about. Um, Owen does a great job breaking this down. There are a total of seven chapters. The first two chapters are how. Wokeness is entering the ch uh, culture and how wokeness is entering the church. So he takes time to break down what is wokeness and how how did it get in culture and how why is it we're seeing it in the church. That's the first two chapters. The next two chapters on, is, are on why wokeness is an ungodly system. And he goes through um, various theological and cultural issues explaining why theologically this is a problem and then in the next chapter why it's causing you know why wokeness causes problems even culturally so he he doesn't just tell you what it is he doesn't tell you just how it got here but why are there problems with it and then the last uh, or the next two chapters chapter five and six is about what the bible teaches about identity and ethnicity so referring to it from the old testament speaking basically about how we got in the state that we are in with the issue of the law and the fallenness of man etc and then in the new testament how we are a new creation in christ how we are uh, united by being in christ and then the last chapter on chapter seven is hard questions on american history and other hot topics so talking about issues of slavery etc and racism in America and how he answers them in light of what he has covered in this book. So it is a really great book. And I one in I was talking with my pastor about this. He and I were in agreement. One of the things I loved about it was those last couple of chapters where he is talking about the biblical response to systemic racism allegations, to social justice, to wokeness, to critical race theory. I think Owen did one of the best jobs that I've seen, in the, and, and I've read many books at this point, um, not nearly enough to, to really be as super versed on it. You, you want to really learn something like that, go to guys like Owen Strand, Neil Shinvey, etc. But I mean, I've read several books so far, and this is one of the best treatments because it gives what I think is the most important aspect of this, and that is the biblical answer to all the allegations that... Uh, critical race theory and wokeness present so just giving you a little bit of a flavor of what the book's about and like i said i'll put the the link in the show notes i really really recommend you go and get yourself a copy of it and share it and get it and, and by the way each chapter has study questions so you can do this as a small group you know you can you know if your church wants to do it you can have small group studies if you want to do it with friends you can do it that way but each uh, each chapter ends with a, a brief set of study questions to help you go, okay, what did I just read? And go back and, and re-engage your mind on that. So again, Owen's book, fantastic. Really, really recommend it. Um, and by the way, 
I'm not entering his contest to give away three signed copies. So all of y'all who tagged me in that, I already said, I told him directly on Twitter, I'm not entering it. So y'all, knock, <laughs> knock it off. All right. Are we ready, brother? <laughs> well, it's in, excuse me. It's interesting that you mentioned all that because I saw over the last few weeks where you had posted about being part of the launch team. And I saw when you posted about the book coming out and, and several others that we know in our little circle, you know, have, were part of the launch team and have done reviews and, and talked about the book on their podcast and, you know, wrote about it in blogs. But I have to tell you at this point, I am absolutely sick and tired of hearing all this woke CRT crap and I'm just beyond over it. I don't want to see it, hear it, or think about it anymore. I think it's an absolute useless worth of time. I think they're wasting their time. They're wasting their effort. They're wasting money writing about all this stuff because it has absolutely no place in my life or the local church. The church I go to, no one talks about it. It's not mentioned. No one I know in my area in real life and friends on Facebook, they don't talk about it. They don't post about it. It seems to me all of this is just manufactured noise by both sides of pastor puppets just bowing down to the side that they're on, writing about the topic du jour just so that, you know, each side can feel good. You got books coming out talking about how great wokeness is and how it needs to be used and how we need to be used in CRT. And then you got other ones this Owen guy coming out with another book talking about how it, how it's wrong and not biblical. So, I mean, at this point, I'm just getting flooded from both sides talking about it. I'm just sick and tired of it, and I don't see the point. So you tell me why I need to be interested in this subject. Well, let's let's just start with the fact that, um, with as, as Owen points out in his book, the first couple of chapters talks about how this mindset, you know, as he calls it, wokeness, social justice, critical race theory, whatever you want to refer to it, how it's already infiltrated culture. You, you may not see it in the local context that you're talking about, and that's that's not uncommon. We oftentimes are not, you know, seeing things when that are for the broader picture. If the only focus we have is what's immediately going on around us. The problem is, is the culture is inundated with it. It's already, you know, what's already happening is you're seeing a mindset that says that racism is systemic, and that and that systemic racism is uh, it's all across the board. It's a governmental system. It is a societal system that is designed to intentionally keep people of certain ethnic groups down and elevate people who are white. That is what the system teaches. And it's become so prevalent that it's in the schools, it's in businesses, it's in uh, your, your media, your, your modern uh, music, etc. And so everywhere you go, this is where it's at. I mean, let's just point out the fact, and this isn't part of the book, but I mean, you just had Nickelodeon doing drag queen uh, pride parades on Blue's Clues. So you may not see it. You may not be watching. You're not watching Blue's Clues. You may not be uh, paying attention to the music and to your local school, but everybody around you is, and it's already infiltrating cu culture. And what you have is a system that is pre prevalent everywhere, 
And it is telling everyone that we are broken up by groups, uh, specific groups, oppressor groups, which is basically white, male, heterosexual, Christian, and oppressed groups, basically everybody else, people of color, women, minorities. And that is being broken, that is infiltrated culture over and over and over again. And so what you have is that you don't, you know, you don't think you're ha being impacted by this, but your local elections are being impacted by it. You have the kids in your schools who will later be people who are engaged in voting are being impacted by this. And it's an, it's an entire system that says the only way that we can have this systemic racism overcome is by tearing down the system that you and I grew up in. So the system that says, Rich, you're a hard worker and you, you've done, you know, you've put effort into your education, you've put effort into your business, you've done all these things to benefit your family, and so therefore you've merited what you have. That has to be taken away because meritocracy, the idea that you can earn by merit is taken away from you because that's part of an oppressor system. So the only way that this system can be uh, dealt with, the only way racism can be dealt with is by doing what they call anti-racism, which is tearing down the entire structure, tearing down the system that you and I live in. So again, yeah, you're telling me you don't see it in your local context, but it's already impacting everything around you. And as you grow older and then your children and their children grow up, this entire system, they're being inundated with. Because you can't okay. go, you can't go anywhere without it being there. All right. Let's come back. Let's go back to the oppressor mm -hmm. comments later. But as a local church member, mm -hmm. as a Christian, of course, all of that is going to be going on in culture because culture is always and has always been against biblical truth. So, as a Christian, holding to biblical truth in my local church. Shouldn't I be more concerned about what the Bible teaches and how to raise my children and my family and be more concerned about studying the Bible and understanding the gospel? Isn't that my top priority versus worrying about how the culture is reacting and what the culture is doing since the culture has always been against the church and been against the Bible? I mean, just like in the first century with the Christians, you know, they weren't out trying to change the culture around them. They were just teaching the Bible. So, you know, Paul wasn't concerned about what the practices of the Romans when it came to politics and economics. He just focused on proclaiming the gospel and teaching what the Bible taught. So why should I even be concerned about what's going on in the culture when I'm a Christian and I should, my primary concern is the Bible? Well, that's another thing that you know is important, and, and Owen does a great job in this book. In fact, in the second chapter, he talks about how wokeness is infiltrating the church. Because the problem is, is you have a lot of people who are importing this particular mindset into the schools, into pastor training, into the books that we read that are actually directed at Christians. Um, he makes a point in uh, one in one section of chapter two where he talks about the some several ideas that we're hearing being injected into the church. One of the things is that evangelicals are hearing that they are white supremacists by nature. So imagine, as a Christian, Rich, you're being told that this is a gospel issue and that this issue is that people who are white are racist by nature because they are 
beneficiaries of a white supremacist system. So as a Christian, you have to now evaluate the gospel and its message with the mindset that you, as a white man, are racist by nature. You have to, you know, repentance, what you and I believe in, and when we talk about this is what the Bible says, to repent of sin, you're being told as a Christian, you have to repent of whiteness. You have to, and, and it, you have to reject your white fragility. You and I would go, this is ridiculous. I'm not a racist. That says you're, you're, you, you're actually responding with white fragility. So you're all, we're also being told that there are things that, you know, that going on in the world that's, uh, such as, uh, crime rates, uh, how um, shootings, educational disparities, these are all evidence of white supremacy. These are all evidence of systemic injustice. Rather than being looking at the multiple reasons by which those issues can be occurring, the church is being told, no, this is proof of racism. This is proof of white supremacy. We are being told that uh, we're to see capitalism, the system that, that America is established on as far as its economics, is to be considered oppressive and unfair, and that socialism is preferable. That we, and then we are also being told that white interpretation of Scripture has held the church capture, captive for far too long, and that uh, the white agenda is, is, is what is guiding how you and I understand the gospel. That we need to uh, change our level of scholarship. We have to look at uh, how we understand the Bible from standpoint epistemology, which says if you're a victim, you have greater knowledge. If you're a victim or an oppressor, you have greater knowledge than the person who's the oppressor. So we don't read the Bible as interpreting it line upon line, precept upon precept. That's a white you know, uh, that's that's a, a, a white interpretation of Scripture. We need to go from the standpoint of the, the oppressed class who can tell us more than we can understand. Uh, these are things that we are being told as Christians. And to give you a little bit more of an understanding of how that's impacting the church, Owen does a great job talking about the fact there's actually five different books that he says had a lot of impact in furthering this into the church. Things like Divided by Faith, which was written in 2000 by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith. Uh, Prophetic Lament, which came out in 2015. White Awake by Daniel Hill in 2017. Eric Mason's Woke Church. Eric Mason is somebody that we hear about often because he's an individual who is staunchly in favor of the idea that Christians need to support the idea of reparations. The idea that we need to financially give to people of color because they've been oppressed in the past. And so therefore the only answer to that, the the, the those monocausal relationships with, well, there's there's poor education opportunities, there's high incarceration rates, there's this, there's this. All of that is a direct result of white supremacy. So the Christian must be in support of the idea of financial reparations to make amends for this. These are things that are books that are baking into the hands of evangelical elites. So the Christian church is being told again and again and again that a Marxist ideology, a godless Marxist ideology, is what we need to have to interpret Scripture. So, Rich, you're right. You know, for, uh, We should be absolutely concerned about Scripture. We should be concerned about the proclamation of the gospel. And because of that, we as Christians have to stand against the idea that a system that has a very narrow focus, 
that is based on a godless ideology that is being forced upon the church by individuals who believe that you and I, because of the nature of our color of our skin, are racist and that we are supportive of that system because it benefits us, that we have to stand against that because it's being we are being told that as Christians, we have to support this. That if we love our brothers and sisters, we're not worried nearly as much about seeing their souls saved as we are about the impact socially. And this is again and again and again what's being what we're being told that we need to believe in. We need to be, you know, and we have to understand that within the church, there are you and I are gonna look, you know, at this and go. Okay, this is this is nonsense. It's not, you know, this is not a real belief system, but there are others within the church who aren't in that same boat. You've got people who are confused, who don't understand they don't know where to stand on this. They don't have enough information. So, if we're being told that the church has to believe all these things, then these are people we should be concerned for. We should be willing to inform them. We should be willing to say this is being brought into the church and being told don't believe this and here's the biblical support for why. There are people who are engaged. They're concerned. They want They want to be uh, concerned about racism. They want to be concerned about what's going on. They're a little cautious about this, but they're starting to embrace the, the, the whole social justice woke mentality. These are individuals that we can say, look, look where you're going. Look where you're taking the church. Look where you're taking the scriptures. You're going down the wrong path. You know, we can, you know, we are commanded to rescue people from the, you know, from sin. We are commanded people to rescue people from false teaching. We need to pull them out of that fire. And then we've got people who are convinced and pro-woke. I mean, people who are absolutely sold on this and they're in the church. You may not see it in your local church, Rich, but it is happening in churches around the nation. We are seeing it even within the SBC, the largest, you know, the, the denomination that you're part of. It is one of the largest denominations in America, if not the world, as far as evangelical, biblical believing churches. And yet you've got people who are standing up saying, why are our seminaries so white? You've got people saying, we need to uh, you know, divest power to people of color. This is happening within the SBC. And these are convinced people, people who believe this is what we're supposed to be doing. So we have to understand this. And Owen does a great job talking about how we engage those individuals. He does this really well in the book. And I think Christians need to take time and read through this. I, I understand it's frustrating, brother. I understand that. You know, I, I just want to get back to the you know preaching the gospel. That's all that matters. But standing for the gospel means we stand against that which is false. Does that, does that make sense? Well, it makes sense. But I'd like to come back around to that point about oppressors in the gospel. Um, and I have a feeling there's a lot of people, and at this point, I mean, I'm still, you know, I don't see the, the big problem, and, you know, I don't understand all this back and forth and fighting and arguing over it. You know, there was a review posted on the book, and the person that posted it said the book was a masterpiece of straw man arguments. He said that Owen mischaracterizes everything he criticizes, but the gentleman says that he, he hopes that Owen does it because he's confused and ignorant and rather than he's just out to purposely deceive and be malice towards people because, you know, everything you just said, that's just your own opinion. I mean, both sides 
seems to me both sides of the woke issue are trying to spin and twist evidence to suit their own beliefs. Um, this guy went on to say that Owen manufactured his own definitions of CRT and wokeness in ways that serve only his own purposes. And, you know, I could say that you're doing the same thing. And his attempts to reflect on America's past with nuance and sensitivity simply sound like whitewashing. And he does precise, precious little to encourage genuine or lasting unity, unless, of course, everyone inside and outside of Christendom would just uniformly and always agree with him. I mean, couldn't I say that about everything that you just said? You're just, you know, it's agree with you or you're wrong and the other side saying agree with them or the other side is wrong. I mean, you know, how do I know that what either side says is the actual truth? Well, let's start with the idea that that um, Owen Strand doesn't know what he's talking about. He's manufacturing things. If you spend some time in the bibliography, you will see over and over again where he has cited directly from the people that explain what critical race theory is. He talks about the book, uh, book by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. Uh, he talks about uh, you know the, the book on... Um, White fragility, one I've spent some time in. Uh, uh, time in. He actually uh, uh, cites uh, from articles such as feminist standpoint theory. He talks about articles uh, that. Um, let's see, I'm trying to find the other ones here. There's a lot of them here, so you have to bear with me. Uh, but he's got a lot of books that he actually refers to. So uh, a guy, uh, he refers to James Cone, one of the fathers of liberation theology, where a lot of critical race theory and uh, Christianity have been meshed. He cites from that. He cites from Kimberly Crenshaw's the demarginalizing of intersection and race of race and sex. So he again and again and again, uh, again Kimberly Crenshaw, critical race theory, key writings that form the movement. He is citing again and again and again from texts that actually tell us what critical race theorists believe. He's not pulling these things out of thin air. So let's start with that. You know, you, you know, when you read his book, you're actually looking at someone who spent a lot of time studying the actual source texts. One of the biggest problems that I have with people who are saying, oh, you're just uh, labeling anything you want critical race theory, or you're just saying this because it has to be your way or, or not at all. One of the biggest problems that I have is that there's no acknowledgement from those individuals when something actually is critical race theory. When you have people who are actually saying that uh, Christians, uh, white Christians who are not to be identified as in Christ, but rather they are to be identified first and foremost as, you know, as individuals who are racist by nature. That is a core tenet of critical race theory. When you have individuals who are saying that the church has to be about social justice, that's a tenet of critical race theory. So you, you have to understand that when people are critical of someone like Owen Strand, and there is a danger, I, I, I will admit this. In fact, Owen does a great job in, in the early uh, in the first chapter telling us what wokeness isn't. So when you say things like, you know, if someone were to simply talk about racism in general, just bringing up racism or actually talking about race-based violence, like a, a white man purposely hurting or killing a black man because he's black, because guess what? That happens. That's not critical race theory. That's not wokeness. That's not social justice. So 
let's also talk about the fact that he addresses that. He doesn't want Christians to label everything that's about race critical race theory. That is a danger, and he acknowledges that. But just because he is, you know, because the individuals who don't like what he said doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he's talking about or he's mischaracterizing it. You know, as we spend time studying the source materials, we see the patterns of, of what critical race theory lays out again and again and again. Now, to answer the other side of the question, well, aren't you just saying it's your way or the highway? Which one am I supposed to believe? Well, when in two chapters of his book, Owen actually talks about why wokeness, as he, as he terms it, is an ungodly system. Because remember, as Christians, you said it at the very beginning. As Christian, you should be concerned about the gospel. You should be concerned about preaching the Bible. So the Bible is your source authority, right? Is that correct? Oh, yes, okay. absolutely. I'm okay. sorry, I thought you were just... No, no, it's okay. I just want to make sure I establish that. I just want to make sure you understand we're in agreement on that. That's our source of authority. So it's not what I believe. It's not what Owen believes. It's not what you believe. It's not what the person in favor of critical race theory believes. It's what God's Word has said. So, Owen... Right. Okay, go ahead. On, on that subject, one of, the, one of the two greatest commands is to love our neighbor yep. as we love ourselves. As Christians that adhere to biblical truth. Part of loving our neighbor, doesn't that mean that we should be trying to help those that are oppressed? I mean, the, the example of the Good Samaritan, is that not an example of a Jew helping a group, an individual who was a mm -hmm. Samaritan that the Jews looked down on? And, and put it in modern terms, the Jews would have been the whites, the Samaritans would have been the minorities. They were hated, they were despised, they were looked down on because they were Samaritans. But yet this Jew helps this Samaritan, feeds him, takes care of him. As Christians and followers of biblical truth and the gospel, isn't that what we should be doing is helping those that are oppressed and are being held down because of issues and, and things that are out of their control, like they're whether you know their skin tone or skin color their nationality um whether they're disabled or not whether they're women or not whether they're gay or not shouldn't we be doing things to help lift them up and make them feel better and help them in their place in society isn't that showing love by reaching out and trying to help those we disagree with Okay, well, let, let's let's back that up a little bit. Number one, I think you you may have said it backwards, just for our listeners' purposes. It, the it was the Samaritan that helped the Jew that was was injured on the roadway. Okay, so uh, it, no worries. I think I you know it's easy when we get into these discussions to you know we, we speak over our own selves. I do it all the time, but let let's let's talk about helping someone who's oppressed. Obviously, in this situation where the the Jewish man is attacked by robbers on the road and left for dead. His own people wouldn't help him, yet it was the Samaritan who would have been hated by, by the Jews that helped him. Was that evidence of being a good neighbor? Of course, because he saw a person in genuine need. That's the, I want to make say that, say that again. He was in genuine need. This particular individual had been robbed, beaten, and left for dead. So that was an actual evidence of, not a perceived, not a... Uh, a standpoint epistemology testimony of, but rather an actual identifiable need. So that that is different than saying, well, we have this system that postulates that the whole reason why there is uh, things like education disparity, work disparity, financial disparity, incarceration rate disparity, instead of saying that let's look at all the various reasons those things happen, 
to include examining even the own uh, the 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 group of people that are lodging the complaint and looking at their culture, looking at their circumstances, and in factoring all of that in, we've given it a single cause as as uh, Owen refers to it here, a monocausal system, that there's only one possible cause to the exclusion of all others. So we have a system that postulates all of these disparities are the ex express result of systemic racism. No other examination is allowed. So if you aren't willing to allow examination and you only allow for one possible narrative, you're not helping someone because you have actually painted a picture that might not be true. Owen makes a great does a great job in some of his examples by saying, could it be that the reason this particular situation happened was a result of racism? Yes. But is it can we say with 100% certainty that it isn't? Or is that case? No. And here's other possible reasons. So when when you say loving your neighbor is helping people who are oppressed, okay, I have no problem with that. God has a lot to say about people like uh, employers who withhold the wages of the people who work for them and that they will be held accountable. But that is those individuals who are demonstrably you know, uh, wicked, who are demonstrably withholding wages, who are demonstrably getting work for nothing. And so those individuals who have done something that we can actually look at, point to, and say this is the sin, then yes, by all means, we defend that. We fight against that. But when you have a system that says all of this is this nebulous way of believing that all of this is the re direct result of oppression that we can't really um, prove, but it's just a system that explains why everything is. Rich, that's not loving your neighbor. That's actually leading them down a path of darkness. It's actually lying about what's going on because you can't prove that I uh, am responsible for somebody else's incarceration. I am responsible for somebody else's education disparity. But yet that's what the system says because you and I, having white skin, aren't fighting against it. So therefore, that's why it's happening. You know, and another thing well, that... Uh, just, let me finish this and I'll let you get into this. Um, th there's one thing that he really does a great job about in this book, talking about why this social justice system is ungodly. It does. He talks about things like it tweaks the doctrine of humanity, uh, losing sight of the imago Dei, that you and I are created in the image and likeness of God. When you, when you disconnect someone from that and you say, well, because you're white and you have this whiteness issue, you have you have disconnected them as actually being part of the Imago Dei, that you, are, uh, that you are created in the image and likeness of God. You have redefined what a, a, a person is. You, you, have, you d identify groups in another issue according to white whiteness, which is not a biblical concept. It's actually deeply problematic. It has all kinds of issues that, you know, when you say... You, you believe these things because of whiteness. You benefit this from, from whiteness. That plays part and parcel into the idea that this is a group of people that you don't have to have any love or concern for. You have other issues in here about uh, it, it actually foments the sin it presumes to, to critique. So, Rich, when you say that a certain group of people, because by nature of their skin color, specifically white, are responsible for the economic disparities or the education disparities of another group, what have you done? You've actually placed the entire burden 
of somebody's life, the bad things that have happened to their life, onto the uh, first group. And you say, that oppressor group's responsible for what, everything that's bad that's happened to you. What have you just done? You've identified them as a terrible group of people, and guess what happens? You actually breed hatred in the heart of the so-called oppressed group. You're not actually helping someone. You're leading them further into sin. Um, you, you know, you, you breaks people up into oppressors and oppressed. It traps us in a cycle of anger and victimhood. How is this possibly building up in someone what is biblical, right, and true? You cannot say that, you know, this system is actually about loving our neighbor when it, what it does is it builds within them the, the uh, intent and desire to, to hate people to characterize people falsely, to be, uh, to uh, have heart of covetousness, a heart of hatred. And ultimately, it denies that there's any, uh, any forgiveness in Christ. Look, when you and I are redeemed by Christ, we are forgiven past, present, and future of all of our sins. But yet, whiteness and uh, social justice and wokeism says no, no, no. You are perpetually guilty. Rich, there's no way you can argue that this is actually helping someone and helping them build up and, and be bettered and, and grow in their, uh, in their uh, love for God if what you do is cause division, hatred, anger, and covetousness. This is an ungodly system. No Christian should be part of building a system that creates division. But, as you said, with Imago Dei, and America being predominantly white and has been since its founding, and during the time of slavery up until the civil rights movements, the white Americans controlled and ran everything. They were in complete control of, of the money, the corporations, the businesses, the government, the education system. And as a Christian that believes the Bible, and I believe that we should treat everyone as we want to be treated. And the, the Bible talks about balanced scales. As even being a white Christian, shouldn't we be concerned about the lack of opportunity that other brothers and sisters in Christ have had because of their skin color? Because if you have, in this system today, if you have an employer and the one that's doing the hiring is white, and you have a black candidate and a white candidate, and all things being equal on their resume, isn't that white candidate going to have an advantage because he's going to be at more ease and comfortable interviewing with that white man versus the black man or the minority interviewing with that white man? That in itself is systemic racism. And a Mr. McIntosh, I think was his name years ago, used the Band-Aid analogy. If this country by nature was not systemically racist, why have Band-Aids traditionally been in a neutral type light toned skin tone instead of darker skin tones to match minorities why was everything always by default for whites why were the major department stores even up until a few decades ago the the hair products predominantly stocked were for white people for people of color with different hair types they had to go to a separate store to purchase products suited for them how is all of that by nature not proof that this country by nature is systemically white and by your staunch stand and, and, and 
trying to redefine racism and trying to put in to your own white perspective about racism, which you cannot do because you are white. You have benefited from this system. You've grown up in this system. You cannot know what minorities, gays, women, and the disabled, you don't know and can't comprehend what they've had to go through and the struggles they've had to overcome as a Christian, shouldn't we be trying to level the playing field so everyone has the same chance and same opportunity as everyone else? Okay, so let, let's let's do a couple of things here. Number one, you rent all over the map. Okay, so let's let's stick with what we were originally talking about, which is what this book talks about and whether or not it's a biblical system because you started this by saying you what you didn't want to be concerned about you didn't want to be concerned about all these other things because this was frustrating to you and you you everybody has an own opinion so let's let's draw back to where you started with which is you know it's about the gospel okay that's where we started with this and you're jumping all over the map and trying to make every you know throw up a thousand different arguments but Let's talk about the fact that there was, you know, and I'm going to get off book here for a second, but let's talk about the fact that, yes, has America had a problematic history? Yes, as has every nation in, a, in this world. Why? Because we're part of a fallen uh, world. We are fallen because of what Adam and uh, did in the garden, and we are a sinful people by nature. And guess what? When you try to say it's only one group of people that is sinful by nature, you are denying the fact that other groups of people are guilty of sin as well. And you are excluding them from the need for Christ. You are excluding them from the need for repentance. You are excluding them for the need of the gospel. So when you say, well, uh, 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 America's had a racist history, yeah, it has. There's no question about that. But so has every other nation around the world. So has every other people group around the world had problems within their own groups, had problems within their, uh, their own belief systems, and had problems that were antithetical to Scripture. So let's stick with the actual discussion of whether or not systemic racism is a biblical concept, because you started this conversation by saying, I want to be concerned about the preaching of the gospel. So let's get back to that. Now, one of the issues about, you know, those things have happened in America. You're right, they've happened in America. And America has grown over the years. America has changed over the years. It has changed its laws. It has changed the way we deal with those issues. There has been a broader acceptance of a wide variety of you know, cultural belief systems within the marketplace, within, the, uh, w within you know, entertainment, etc. So the idea that we still hold to that when you can go to any store and find all the products you just talked about, when you can turn on any entertainment and find a wide range of entertainment value, when you can have all kinds of views, all kinds of books, all kinds of people in leadership. That, uh, what was once true of America, simply isn't true of America today. Let's just establish that. The idea that you can use the things of the past to say, well, that happened then, so therefore it's still this way now, is simply a false argument. But let's go back to what, you know, uh, what this type of t uh, um, belief system does even within culture. You talked about justice and, and oppression. 
The problem with justice is that, biblically speaking, justice is about you've done wrong and God will hold you accountable. In other words, it is retributive. In other words, we're held accountable for the very things that we've done. But the way wokeness and uh, and social justice does it is it's no, it's redistributive. The things that you've all described about all the things that happened in the past, well, that must mean that individuals are being affected today. Even though we can't point to anything specific, we have to take instances of education and incarceration rates and reduce them down to only one possible cause uh, without looking at any of the uh, vast uh, multiple impacts or multiple things that impact that. No, no, it's down to one cause. So the reason we've decided that's the case, now we're going to make it distributive. In other words, uh, you know, the, the individuals that we have deemed guilty must be the ones who have to be held accountable. The, and they, what they have, which we think is unfair for them to have, must be taken from them and must re, be redistributed. Um, remember that, and this is that the government is the one who is now e- equipped to do that. But biblically, that's not what government is for. Biblically, we a government is to be a terror to bad conduct. It's to put evildoers in fear. It's to stim, uh, stimulate the good uh, stimulate good there to be God's servant for public good to, to bear the sword and to avenge the wrath or avenge wrath on the wrongdoer government has a limited role in God's uh, economy God says this is your lane government it's not to be a distributive agent to take what we think uh, should be uh, taken from people and given to others it is a meant to be a retributive agent in other words here are actual instances in which legitimate oppression, legitimate wrongdoing uh, was done, and therefore government holds those individuals accountable. So that's one issue with regard to why in culture it's a problem. Secondly, um, wokeness complicates you know things like marriage, friendship, etc. Because we now start looking at people and say, well, because you're white and you're involved in this, in something we consider a people of color issue, you're attempting to colonize. So now Everything that a person does as a white person is seen as an effort to colonize, to take over, to own. And therefore, you can't even look at a person with any trust or love or, or concern for. You simply just assume the worst about them. You, uh, What this system is doing, what, is, uh, what you just did, is it's destabilizing truth. It takes away what could be the truth of what is uh, why something occurred the way it did, and it makes it narrative driven. You pointed out over and over again. Well, in this at this time the the band aids were this. At this time uh, you couldn't buy this kind of hair product. At this time you had this issue, and so therefore, instead of looking at what were those instances in those times and what does it look like now, and actually examining the changes over time, you've turned it into a narrative, and you've said that is the story. That proves that this is systemic racism. You've turned it into a narrative. You haven't examined the actual circumstances. You haven't determined whether or not there's truth behind your statement. You've taken a narrative and you've turned that into truth. That's one of the big uh, big problems because it destroys uh, the, uh, the idea in culture that we can actually have truth. Because if I try to assert that there's an actual reason for something, you're going to tell me you're just you're you're showing white fragility, and this person and and their description and their account that's what's true because of things like intersectionality, because of standpoint epistemology. It changes the very nature of truth. 
So the problem is, is that this is actually destructive to culture. It destroys the free market. Rich, you talked about all these things like hair products and, 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 you know, and stuff. But if government gets involved and says, you can't, uh, you know, you, you pr uh, producers of products, you're not, um, you, you're not doing enough to make things available to other people. You're more concerned about profit. You're more concerned about reaching this particular target group. Therefore, government now gets to say the, econ the economic system gets to change and everybody has to do the government equality line. Guess what that does? Destroys the free market. The government now controls the free market. We would but never... you still have an answer. Hold on. I'm actually trying to answer your question because what happens okay. is... Because what has happened is over time, the free market has changed. Over time, products and stuff that people, they, you know, they recognize there's a market for this and we've, we've neglected this market and we can make a profit in this market. That's changed over time as attitudes have changed. But you are saying, well, it happened in the past. So it, it's clear what's, ha what's happening now. You've neglected truth and you're saying, we're going to go with the narrative, and you want the government to solve all those problems, and then you're saying the Christian should support this. The Christian can't support things that are not true. The, the, the Christian must be concerned that the, the use of the government has a limited role, and that we as Christians, what we should do is care about preaching the truth and, and sticking with the truth of Scripture so that we are revealing God to people and not playing in a Marxist godless ideology. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense, but you never answered my question about, as Christians and loving each other, loving others as ourselves, shouldn't we have the desire to see everyone have the same opportunities and the opportunity for equality and equity in their lives and have the same opportunities? But on, on a deeper note, I've heard it said that if you're silent about abortion, you're supporting abortion. So in that same reasoning, if you're silent about the racial problems and the problems with the number of people oppressed in this country, even within the church, if you're silent, silent on that, by default, does that not mean that you're supporting that oppression? Absolutely not, because number one, I don't actually agree with my uh, fellow Christians who say if you're silent, you're, you're supportive of abortion. I actually disagree with that, though I do believe that every Christian has a place to fight that which is truly evil. And in case of abortion, abortion is truly evil because it is murder. However, I don't expect every Christian to be out on the street next to an abortion clinic with a sign. However, Christians who pray, Christians who are involved in crisis pregnancy centers, Christians who support their church in those things are involved. So I will say that I don't agree with that in its entirety, though I do believe Christians should be involved to some extent because that is a great evil. Here's the other problem, though. The assumption that if you're silent is that you're supportive goes back to the, the false concept that, that the idea is that Systemic racism is true, and that the only reason people uh, will not speak is because they benefit from. That's simply untrue, because there are many people who do not believe this system is true, and they believe it because the Scripture teaches about what actual sin is, what actual oppression is, what actual justice is. So 
when I speak or people like Owen Strand write a book, they're saying, we are concerned about truth. We are tr concerned about the gospel. We are concerned about how we actually address issues of race, real racism. Why, there, why is there hatred in the heart of man? Well, go to chapter five of, uh, of Owen's book. He talks about that you know, we are created as a, a race of image bearers that we fell in Christ, or we fell in the garden, because, and that's when enmity was, uh, was brought into the world. See, critical race theory, wokeness, believes that by your nature as a white individual, you are at war with people of color. So if you don't speak up and fight against it, you support it. But that's not how this works because scripture teaches us that actually it's not the color of my skin that puts me at war with someone. It's the issue of my heart. And when, I, when my heart is fallen and it is in Adam and it is hateful of other men, it demonstrates what happened back in the garden, that sin entered the world. So how do I deal with that? How do I deal with an actual hatred issue? Well, I've got to take them to the gospel because that's where that issue is changed. But why are, why are, let's, let's talk about the fact that there are people of different skin colors. Why is that? Well, because man in his sinfulness, rather than going out into the world as, and to populate it as, man, as God commanded them, they came to one place and they said, we're going to build a tower. We're going to prove how mighty we are. And God scattered the people. So we are all one people. We're not actually, there's not an actual race, uh, a group of races. There is one race, the human race, all of which have different language and culture and appearance because of God's dispersal. So how do we deal with the fact that well, because we're different, um, we need to, to learn to love and care for one another? Well, we look at the scriptures where God welcomed the stranger even into Israel. See, God cares about the different people groups and, their, uh, and, and wants them cared for rightly. So as Christians, we show genuine care to people in our midst. And so we care about who they are. We care about where they've come from. And we, we, we work to bring them into the family of God through the proclamation of the gospel because there's no peace with God and no peace with one another when we are still dead in our trespasses and sin. See, Rich, you want me to say that anti-racism, which is what they call it, is how I actually deal with this issue, but that's not how I deal with the issue. I don't take and say, government, solve this problem for me. Me, I'm going to yell and tell everybody who's white how evil they are. No, no. As a Christian, what I do is I say, we're alienated from one another and we're alienated from God because of our sinful hearts. See, I am wicked and, and, and evil apart from Jesus Christ. My sin, which is our, in my heart from the moment of my conception, because I'm born in sin, that, you know, that puts me at war with God and it makes me a self-centered individual. And so I have no hope. But, the, but in Christ, guess what happens? My heart is changed. I'm no longer at war with God. I'm not, no longer at war with my fellow man. I am actually brought into the family of God. 
And we talk when we look at places like Ephesians two, as Owen po points out in his uh, in his second chapter on, or excuse me, sixth chapter on uh, identity and ethnicity from the, from the scriptural perspective, he talks about Ephesians two thirteen through eighteen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So by making peace, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to, you, to, peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See, Rich, it's not anti-racism and getting the government to to equalize the playing field, which can never really be done because what you've done is you've penned all power into a uh, completely corrupt institution because guess what? They're the same sinners the rest of us are. You give all power to them, then there is no equality. Only the government is as powerful and the rest of us are equally poor and oppressed by the government. That has been demonstrated time and again. But the way you have okay. unity, the way you have equality, is you deal with the, the spiritual issue of the fact that we are all dead in sin and that we are all alienated from one another because we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And the way we overcome that is through the preaching of the gospel, which tears down that wall. It tears down the wall between man and God, and it tears down the wall between men, uh, men between themselves, because now they are brothers in Christ. We are one man, one people. We're no longer divided by color. We're no longer divided by culture. We're now divided from Adam, the people in Adam, and those are the people we're trying to reach, and we're in Christ. So the only thing we're divided from is the wickedness of the world, the sinfulness of the world. You know, the, the household of God is a multi-ethnic people. It is not divided by color. Okay, two points left and we'll wrap up. But building on what you actually just said yourself, and first, <laughs> I never said anything about the government taking care of our problems. I'm talking about as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible tells us that light should expose darkness. Mm -hmm. So therefore, as a Christian... We should be exposing things that are evil. We should be exposing the evil that is happening to our brothers and sisters in this country because of their skin color, because of their status in society, because of their gender, because of their uh, physical abilities or lack thereof. We should be exposing those issues and problems. We should be addressing them. We should be talking about them. We should bring them forward. We shouldn't be fighting against something like CRT, which is a tool, an analytical tool that we can use to help determine what is and what is not racist in itself, because each person can define racism as they see fit, but we need something that we can use to help us determine whether something in itself in a system is racist or not, just like the fact that, you know, we've never had a black SBC president that shows that there's a some some form of racist system going on within the Southern Baptist Convention and that's just one example there are a lot of others so we should be using a tool that will help us define racism and expose racism in our culture um, no one denies that racism exists the problem is most people want to ignore it and push it under the rug and not try to do something to solve the problem. So from your perspective, 
as an anti-racist or whatever the word was that you used, from your perspective, how do we address the issue of racism and expose what is and is not racist in this country? And within the American church. Okay, well, let, let's go back to what you said. What we said before, you've appealed to something that you yourself earlier at the beginning of the program denied, which is you've appealed to something other than Scripture. You said you wanted to be preaching the gospel. You wanted to be concerned about the, the Word of God, but you're now saying something entirely different, which is we need to appeal to the authority of a man-made system, which I have said over and over again in this program, talks about the fact. That, you know, the, the, that's, this is a godless system that relies upon a division of people that actually creates problems, that actually uh, accuses people falsely. How, as a Christian, can I say that's a system that I shouldn't use? And by the way, just to correct what you said, it's not, an, it's not simply an analytical tool because the creators of this system refer to it as a worldview. So anytime someone tries to tell you, no, this is simply an analytical tool, they're either lying or they're ignorant. It is not an analytical. Well, Hold on, you you, you got well, your say. Let me, let me just let me ask you this real quick. Okay. But you use all these terms: social justice, CRT, wokeism, intersectionality. But doesn't everyone have their own definition of what each of those terms mean? So you can't refer to one group when another group defines that word differently. Well, here's the problem. I go back to what Owen did in his book. He took the individuals who actually created this, went to their books, their articles, their speaking tours, and said, this is what it is. So if somebody's using it inappropriately, they're wrong, number one, because there are individuals who created this system. They have, they have fleshed it out. They have defined it. And we in the church have been adopting a great many of its tenets. So there is a consistent message within the critical race theory, intersectionality movement, and it is over and over again that there is an oppressor group and an oppressed group. There are people who are the, the oppressed group. They have more understanding because of their nature as victims and that they should be listened to. It is their narrative, not the white narrative. Over and over and over again, we have seen this. And it's being imported into the church. So whether somebody wants to redefine that or not is irrelevant because the actual way it's been applied consistently over and over again and has been imported into the church is the same way that critical race theory and intersectionality and all these other issues have been defined by the very people who propagate it. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is you're right. People can redefine things. So what do we need to go to? We need to go to the one thing that doesn't change, the Word of God. God defines what is sin. God defines what is justice. God defines what, uh, how there is reconciliation. God defines what is equality and equity. So when you say, well, Christians need to be concerned about exposing this and we need to use this tool, this tool is designed for one thing, and it is the tearing down of structures and instituting another one. And when it tears down the structures, it is talking about an actual defined movement that, uh, that it hates, which is the existing you know, uh, de democratic republic that is this nation, and it wants to use the authority of that to tear itself down and rebuild it in a Marxist ideology. 
So when you say, well, I don't say anything about using the, uh, about the government getting involved, you're playing part of something that already says the government needs to be involved because the, the only answer that this system gives is to have the government involved. The only way the Christian can expose what is racist, what is hateful, what is oppression, what is sinful, is to go to the Word of God and define it the way God defines it. We reject, we tear, we tear down false strongholds through the equipping of our minds through the Word of God. We are not to be held captive by plausible arguments and ideologies, but we are to be held captive to the Word of God. So when you want to appeal to something that has nothing to do with the Word of God, but actually attempts to corrupt the Word of God by redefining things like justice, mercy, kindness, love, equity, equality, and, and seeks to import into them a godless ideology to those definitions. You are no longer speaking as a Christian. You're speaking as someone who is, uh, uh, is speaking the tongue of a Marxist who hates the word of God. I get that Christians are passionate. They want to love one another. They want to, do, to see people taken care of and provided for. And that's an admirable thing. And Christians have been doing that for centuries. Christian hospitals, Christian adoption agencies, Christian charities, over and over and over again, speaking the gospel, speaking the truth, converting hearts and bringing them to Christ and, and helping where there is actual need, not magical, uh, magically discerned and redefined needs, but redefined uh, according to some order of other ideology. But Christians have done these things. Christians did fight against uh, the slave trade. Christians did help free slaves. Christians have fought to, uh, you know, to bring to those in need have been there. Christians are some of the uh, the most involved in adoptions, for example. Christians are there on the front lines keeping and trying to fight for babies being killed. So don't you can't tell me that Christians aren't doing this. We are. In fact, what we're doing each and every week, if a faithful pastor is doing what he's supposed to be doing, is he's proclaiming the truth of God's word, exposing sin, calling people to repentance and faith, to grow in holiness in the word of God. So, and if we're doing that, we're tearing down the wall of division. We're tearing down the systems that, uh, that oppress people because hearts have been changed. So, brother, I know you're passionate about this, but the truth of the matter is the system that you're talking about is asserting itself above the word of God. It is defined for itself what is right, good, and just, and it opposes God at every single turn. Well, even the way that the word woke is being used today, it was not originally intended the way it's being used. It grew out of something from the 1930s and evolved over the decades and was culturally appropriated like in 2010, mostly by white Christian Democrats to push their liberal and sociological and their economic agenda to where even the word woke now is used both as a derogatory term and as a banner cry. I mean, during the times when the Black Lives Movement started to arise and they started using it and it grew out of that to where now the original intent of being woke has completely changed and has completely taken away from the plight of African-Americans and their struggles and what they have to try to deal with every day because of, of their situations and their status in life and just because of their skin color. We can't deny that there are issues that minorities, the disabled and women have to face that 
white Christian men do not have to face. And you can't deny that there are issues that these groups have to deal with that you as a white Christian healthy male do not have to deal with. But you still did not answer my point. What should we do to be truly reaching out to help these brothers and sisters as Christians to love our neighbor as ourselves? Oh, brother, I've said it a bunch of times over and over. We're reaching out to individuals with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are seeking to tear down the wall of division. Now, I just want to address something you said just a second ago, and then I'll come back to answering this. Um, you say, I as a white Christian healthy male can't identify with certain things. You're right. There are certain things I can't identify with, just as there are individuals who can't identify with some of the struggles I've been with because they've not lived through them. But just because we may not know the exact feeling or the exact uh, issues that I, each and every person faces, we know that all people will face suffering. All people will face struggles. All people will have uh, difficulty in life. The reason we, we preach the gospel is because we live in a fallen and broken world. There's never going to be a point where you are not going to face difficulty. There's never going to be a utopia on this planet. The reason I say I have answered your question is because what are we as Christians called to do? We are called to love people and preach the gospel to them, to make disciples of every nation, and to, to have them obey all that Christ has commanded us. And I know that because every Christian throughout the history has faced the difficulty of siding with the world and potentially not facing persecution or siding with Christ and guaranteed to face persecution. See, the problem for the Christian is that we will always face difficulty. And we know that. And we know that there's nothing in this world, there's no utopian vision that will ever solve all the complex issues of this world. But we also know there's a variety of complex issues and that they're not monocausal and that there's no one way that we're going to solve all those issues. But the one thing we do know is that every person is at war with God apart from Jesus Christ and that the way we bring hope to the hurting is that we preach the gospel so that when they understand that when they've repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ, that this world, which can be so damaging, which can be so destructive, is going to, they're one day going to leave this world and enter into eternity with Christ. That's why you could have during the Reformation when men and women were, uh, were murdered for preaching the gospel and transfer, uh, transfer, uh, excuse me, translating the Bible into English or into the spoken language of a people, that they were burned at the stake. Why could they sing hymns? Because they knew that they were going to soon be face to face with their Savior. Why? Through uh, great persecution in places like China and North Korea and the Middle East where genuine oppression, genuine uh, discrimination, genuine uh, persecution is happening. Why can they preach and sing and praise the Lord knowing that every day believing in Christ can cost them because they look to a, a future kingdom. They look to the Christ that they will spend eternity with. So the idea that Christians should be mostly concerned about what you know the inequalities of this world, there's never going to be a solution to all of those. We can expose evil. We can preach and say, hey, when you murder that child in the womb and when you pass laws that allow for that, you are reaping the wrath of God upon yourself. Repent 
sinned? Yes, absolutely. But we will never solve all the issues of this world. We do not reconcile races. We reconcile to God. We bring genuine unity, genuine charity, genuine love to one another when we are in Christ and we are loving one another and equipping one another and being there for one another. But you cannot solve the issues of this world that are built on sinful systems that are built on sinful ideas, that are built on sinful hearts apart from Jesus Christ. You can't solve those problems because the world says, well, this is the problem, so we're going to use a worldly solution. The world wrongly defines it to begin with and then wrongly gives an answer. Rich, my friend, you have to understand that you want me to say as a Christian, I have to use this system to expose evil, but I don't need to use that system. I have the authoritative word of God, which tells me what is sin, which tells me what is oppression, which tells me that when when someone claims that there has been uh, an evil done to them, I am to you know seek actual evidence on the mouth of two or three witnesses. A matter is established. I can't just simply say, well, this system says this is probably why everything's wrong. So this is how the solution is, and none of it is scriptural. That's not justice. That's not godly. That's not biblical. That is uh, rejecting the word of God, which tells me the poor will always be with me, which tells me injustice will always occur in this world, which tells me sinful men will always do sinful things to other people. I can stand upon the word of God and say, government, you have a job to do. You have a job to hold people accountable. You cannot authorize which that which is sinful. You cannot uh, re- uh, reject the idea of holding the guilty accountable. You must do what is right and good in the eyes of God or government, you will be held accountable. One day you will stand before God. But for me to say, government, here's a godless system that identifies all these problems. Here's a godless solution that solves all of that. And I want you to do that. Or I want to say, all you Christians out there, even though there's nothing about with this that has anything to do with the word of God, was so completely antithetical to the word of God. I want you to follow this. I want, to ident- I want you to identify yourself as a wicked white person. I want you to repent of that. I want you to do this godless system which says this is how you tear down racism. Rich, I can't do that. I can't can't call for people to do that. I need to pe- point people to Jesus Christ and his word. So when I, if I want to expose genuine uh, sin, then I'm going to preach the word of God. And I'm going to say, this is what the, the, the Lord calls sinful. That when you hold you, individual person, when you hold hatred in your heart to any person, you are, you are going to be guilty of the same, you're going to have the same kind of judgment upon you that a man who commits murder that is preaching truth. That is exposing sin. And that the only answer to that isn't a utopian society. It is repent and believe the gospel and obey all that Christ has commanded. That is how I solve the problem. When, I, when a person says, uh, uh, you know, my employer has withheld my wages, I preach the gospel to that employer and say, you have done wrong. You have, done, you have genuinely oppressed. You need to repent in, uh, of this. You need to pay this man his wages and you need to trust in Christ lest you, a great judgment befall you. Rich, that's how the Christian fights this, because we preach the gospel. We don't reject that the, you know, the, the, the history of the past says that America's got a checkered history. Of course we do accept that, because every nation has. I know that my own life is filled with checkered problems because of the sins that I, I have been guilty of. Yet I am redeemed in Christ, and because of that I strive for holiness, and I live in such a way that I want to repent of those things and treat the people around me that God has put in my path with love and kindness and preaching the gospel to them. 
So that's how I answer that question. You want me to answer it a different way, and I can't, brother. Okay, I'm back to myself now. <laughs> there's, there's one thing I wanted to share that I found in researching, discussing this with you tonight from an opposing viewpoint. And forgive me, I did not make the citation properly. I think it came from shenviaapologetics.com. Shenvi. But it's something. Yeah, there's something that I had not come across before, and I, I thought it would might be a bit beneficial. It talks about the difference between relative privilege and absolute privilege when conservatives especially are dealing with and addressing the issue of, of white privilege. And it says a common response to statements about white privilege is the retort that many whites are poor, uneducated, and otherwise disadvantaged. While the observation is certainly true, it misses the point of white privilege which does not claim that all whites are privileged over all people of color in, same, in the same, in some absolute sense. Instead, the claim being made by educators like McIntosh is only that a white person will enjoy certain advantages over a non-white person, all other things being equal. To be fair, some anti-racists do confuse absolute privilege with relative privilege. Yeah. I'd never come across the distinction between those two, and I was just curious, had you... No, that's the first one, but I actually like what the, what he did with that. So that's no, that's that was a good one. I actually, um, I'll have to, I'll have to read up on that and and get a little bit, a little bit uh, better understanding of that argument. I think that was really good. Um, okay, since I'm back to myself, <laughs> Owen, forget you know, un unless you find this beneficial, forget everything I said. Um, I do plan on getting a copy of Owen's book. It sounds fascinating. I am interested in reading it. And just for myself, I hope and pray that our role play tonight has been beneficial to you listeners in some fashion. Um, hopefully, maybe it gave you some things to think about that either you haven't come across before or maybe some issues you have come across and didn't quite know how to answer it. Our hope and prayer is that by Chris using Owen's book to demonstrate how to address these topics in the real world, that you will see the benefit of books like this and others like Bodhi and so many of our brothers that have written on this subject. Um, I know we're running over on time, so I'll let you have the last word tonight, my brother. Uh, no, no, absolutely. And by the way, you did a great job. <laughs> um, I, I, number one, I hope that, you know, not that I expect that he ever will listen to this because he's a busy man, but Owen, if, if, if in any way that I, I did something with your book that was misrepresentative, Please forgive me. I tried to use your book in a, and Rich did not has not read the book, nor has he seen the um, uh, you know like the, the the table of contents or anything. So as he asked those questions, oh, and your book was really fantastic because I could almost go through the entire book and answer question for question what he was bringing up. But if in any way I, I misrepresented you, let me just say first and foremost, let me apologize. Uh, but I believe that his book does respond to all of the issues that Rich brought up. So any failure to in anybody's mind to rightly represent the book or rightly answer those ob uh, objections, that falls on me. Um, I, I do my best to try and be uh, thorough. I do my best to, to try to try to remember. I'm getting older. I, you know, I, I, my brain fails once in a while. So if there's in any way somebody goes, I don't think you argued that well. That is on me. That is not reflective of, of Owen Strand's book. Please, please hey, let's brother, make sure uh, we understand that. So go ahead. One, one, one more thing I want our listeners to know. You and I did not compare notes mm -hmm. prior to this episode. We both went in cold and had no mm -hmm. idea 
what the other one was going to say. Yeah. All I knew was that you were you had read the book and you were going to use it, and I was coming in approaching as either someone indifferent towards woke or a full blown supporter supporter, which I kind of transitioned there about in the middle. Yeah, and, and I I hope the one thing I, uh, that I I hope that I was able to do is keep redirecting you back to the very authority of Scripture. Because that's, you know, you'll hear people that do this, and, and Rich did this. We need to just, you know, st- just preach the gospel. You know, uh, you know don't, I don't want to hear about this. But the second we get into the details, oftentimes you'll hear what Rich did, which is appeal to something other than Scripture. And I think Owen's book does a fantastic job. And like I said, if, if in any way somebody listens to this and goes, I don't know that you handled that well, or I don't think you, you answered that properly, or his book answers that differently, Again, attribute any error on that on my part. This was uh, trying to address Rich's questions with what I just read in mind, yet having a dozen other things that I've been influenced by as I read and and listen uh, that may have answered that as well. So if if there's any misrepresentation, please attribute it to me, not to the book. And I did try to get you sidetracked, and you did really well about going back and not getting off on a rabbit hole. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things to do is that people need to understand that so much of what this system does, this you know, this wokeness system does is it is about, you know, re- using as as Owen talks about in his book, it's it's about the narrative. It's not about the truth, it's about the narrative. And so you will appeal to just about everything other than the actual truth because the truth, uh, appealing to truth, appealing to objective truth is considered a whiteness issue. So that's why we, we always have to come back to the Word of God. We always have to be informed by God's Word. And that was the last thing I really tried to make a in this little role play was that it I, we cannot define, we cannot define goodness, rightness, uh, fairness, justice, mercy, equality, etc. without the Word of God. If you use anything else to appeal to that, you are appealing to the worldview of man. And that that worldview is busted, broken, and fallen. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully, oh, and I really hope we did a good job representing for you. I don't know if you'll ever listen to this, but if we didn't write me, let me know. I'll apologize for it. Um, but if we, if, if this in any way has encouraged you to read the book, I get please, please, please go read it. Uh, he is he does such a fantastic job. I think it really equips the body of Christ. And and I echo my own pastor sentiments. It's really, in my opinion, one of the best treatments of this issue because it appeals back to Scripture. And it's not to say that none of the other books do. Vody Balcom's Fault Lines is a fantastic book, and he does exact he does appeal to Scripture. But there's just something about what Owen did in those last few chapters where he breaks down what the issue really is. Not the, the the critical race theory definition, but the biblical definition of what really is the, the, the problems and how we respond to it. Oh, man, you did a fantastic job, and I really hope a lot of churches put this in their libraries and encourage their people to read it. I hope there's studies that come out of this because the Christian church does need to be equipped. Um, there's just there, this this thing's coming to a head, and and I will say this again, you you can see what's going on. You can see the 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 concern. You can see the kind of panic that's going on within the woke circles because the more 
sound doctrinal Christians get involved in this and expose it for what it is, which is an antithetical, godless ideology, antithetical to Scripture, totally godless, the more it's exposed, the more they get upset. And the more you know, you get the name calling and everything else. Um, okay, I, I got it. This is one last thing. I got to share this. Let me find it. I, got, I, I thought this was so fantastic. Let me find Samuel Say just absolutely gutted somebody on the internet with this. And I thought it was fantastic. And I'm really going to try and find it again. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, man, this might be hard to find because Twitter is so difficult. Uh, but there was a point where... Um, ah, is, is, is this it? Uh, yeah, there it is. Found it, found it, found it. Okay. So Mike Riccardi, uh, responding to this, an issue, it's, this is a discussion for another time, but Kevin DeYoung did a review of, uh, uh, a couple of people's case for reparations and he did a, a fantastic job and, and Kevin DeYoung got excoriated and got called a white supremacist. So, Mike Riccardi referred to Neil Shenvey's evaluation of the of, of the response. Anthony Bradley jumps in and goes, "The chemist? What's he know about any of this?" So again, they they will attack your your credibility. They will attack your knowledge. They will attack everything, and that's what Anthony Bradley did. He attacked Neil Shenvey, going, "Well, he's a chemist. What would he know?" Except that Neil Shenvey has been reading virtually every book out there for this. Samuel Say's response was dead on. What do fishermen know about theology, sir? But I'm just a high school dropout with a Bible replying to the wisdom of the world. The idea that you can't know anything because you're not a trained critical race theorist, that you can't read these books, that you can't understand this stuff, what do you know? Samuel Say busted that wide open. What do fishermen know about theology? Hmm, you know, the apostles, the ones trained by God himself, the ones who wrote a good you know, wrote the New Testament, who founded the church, etc. Those guys were fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. Don't let somebody tell you you don't know anything. Don't let them appeal to some higher authority, yet reject that you, you can know anything because, gee, you just have the Bible. As Samuel Say said, I'm just a high school dropout with a Bible. Folks, you have all you need in the authority of the Word of God. You have the sufficient, inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. You have everything you need. Know it, but be knowledgeable about what's going on because you have the Anthony Bradleys of the world who will tear you apart and try to convince you you don't know anything because you're not as trained as they are. You have the Word of God. You have everything you need. Be knowledgeable. Don't, you don't have to spend all your time on this, but pick up a good book, and this is a good one to do. Rich, any last thoughts before we let everybody go tonight? Just like we close out each week, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the gospel at least once a day. Amen, amen. Folks, thank you for joining us. Thank you for allowing us to do a little bit of a role play. I hope that was beneficial. Um, it's not something we've done before. Rich kind of caught me off guard with that one. I was a little I was a little concerned about how we were going to do this because we'd never done this before. Uh, but I think it went well, and I hope, hope, I really hope it actually helps you out a little bit. So uh, links will be in the show notes for the review itself and for the book. Go get yourself a copy. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of the Voice of Reason radio uh, audience and program and family. We don't have a program without you. And if this program benefits you in any way, all we can ask you to do is listen, pray about it, and share it. 
And if we have done nothing else, hopefully what we've always encouraged you to do is go back to the Word of God because this is what you need for all for your life and practice as a Christian. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time.